Welcome to episode 181 of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. My name is Paul McGinty. With me, as always, are Ian the Sauce Sharply. Hello. And Matt, Iron Maiden Casal. Hello. You're supposed to say, hello. Hello. It is Monday night, February 6th. And tonight we're going to talk a cornucopia of subjects. We came into tonight light on the roster of, of subject matter. And by the time we got all cozy and comfy here and our hoodies and scarves in front of the microphones, we decided we've actually got quite a bit of things to talk about from uh, Matt's displaced hatred of Richard Harris as Dumbledore. Hatred's a strong word. Uh, we're going to talk about Image Comics 25th anniversary. And we're also going to talk Stranger Things 2 trailer. Maybe a little smattering of uh, who we want to see direct the Batman, the Ben Affleck joint. But why don't we start with housekeeping with Ian Sharpley? McSauce.com. Is that mic too high? It looks real high. It's the, like the, you're talking out of your eyes. Well, I don't want to, whenever I'm not on mic, I don't want to breathe too heavily into it. it, so that, if it's that won't pick high. up. Uh, it does sometimes, guys. <laughs> I, I can't hear a thing he's saying. Because we don't have headphones on, fuckface. We're not listening to each other. But where you can listen to us as we're opening up our beers is mixos.com. You can find the podcast, the reviews, and the comic strips that Paul and myself uh, diligently work on every week. So if you go to mixos.com, check us out there. You can like our Facebook page if you go to Facebook slash McSauce. You can find us on Instagram. Paul and myself post a lot of uh, pro like process strip uh, <clears throat> pictures of the strips that we create. A lot of uh, you know inks and loose sketches Some on the yeah, yeah, yeah. Instagram page. I, I really enjoy going back and forth. Instagram is like my favorite social media thing. It's yeah. very like not a lot of it's 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 all about I feel like it's all more about the content that's provided on the on the <laughs> on the platform and not just like See, people I, hating on shit. I like I like the uh I like Twitter for hating on shit. I like being able to voice my opinion in 140 characters or less. I understand that. But yeah, I mean, like I don't get me wrong. I get my my hate fuel from Twitter, but for a nice civil discourse or or just putting your uh, art out there, Instagram's the way to go. So, if you're uh, new to the McSauce podcast, uh, please please uh, find our various social media handles. Uh, follow us on there. Like the podcast on iTunes. It does make a difference. I know all of you listening are like, oh, someone else will do it. Because that's what I do when my podcasts want me to rate it. I say, ah, someone else will do it. But I'm going to start doing it. That's true. You have to be active. <clears throat> Nobody's going to save you from from the podcast hell that right. you could end up in if you don't like, review, and show love to the podcast that you like. So if, if you enjoy what we do. Even, even the big, well-known podcasts that I listen to, I'm going to get on there. I'm going to post some reviews. And if a negative Nelly like me can get on there and do it, I think you can do it too. Help us out. 
help us out. If you like Matt and Ian, sometimes myself, go on iTunes, give us a review. It'll help us get found. It'll help us get noticed. And, you know, you want to be like, hey, I helped make that happen. And we really enjoy feedback as well. We put up a... We're, we try to do some different things for the fans. We put up a sports-exclusive quick podcast. We've already had some feedback on it. So if on, you like on, stuff... On the Facebook? On, on the Facebook. If you like what we're doing or you want to hear... If you want to hear more of something, hit us up. Like, let us know where we're... We're, we're ex- as as you know from listening to us. We're extremely flexible. We're easygoing. We're, we'll we'll do whatever. So just hit us up. Like we we need uh, topics to talk about. So if you want to hear a sports podcast or if you want to hear us talk talk about a certain topic, let us know and we'll we'll do it for you. Don't be an asshole and say I want to hear you talk thermonuclear dynamics. I think that we'll a lot you. of people would really enjoy hearing. Three fucking dummies talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we uh, we you know, you know threw up a, a quick hitting twenty minutes on Super Bowl Fifty One tonight. It was energetic. It was exciting. It's a nice little episode for your commute into work. We had to exercise the demons of uh, Super Bowl. Well, you guys did. Super I felt Bowl just lying about it. <laughs> it's because you're so, a, you're a godless fuck that didn't even watch the Super Bowl. That's right. <clears throat> So, Matt, why don't we get into your seething hatred of God's gift to England, Richard Harris, as Professor Albus Dumbledore in the first two Harry Potter movies? First of all, God's gift to England, I thought we established initially as Iron Maiden, but... um, I better make sure Richard Harris is from England. (laughs) I was going to say Ewan McGregor, but I was positive that wasn't right. <laughs> that's that's not but, right. You know, Ewan McGregor is so cool. He He's God's gift to every country, if you think about it. Yeah. Am I'll, I right? I'll, 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 I'll give that to you. Global gift, Ewan McGregor. Don't you think Ewan McGregor would have been a better Dumbledore? No. Isn't he a little too young? He's way too young. Okay. I mean, I I don't I, hey, I don't know. You guys I, are the Harry Potter heads. I don't see people like that. You know, I don't I don't judge people. Bloomsbury, London, was well, born Richard Harris. Wait a so, second. Yeah, you God's judge. Gift. You spent a good ten minutes blasting Betty and Veronica for their height. You're not gonna see people for their age. No, that's ridiculous. So, Paul, Richard Harris was the better Dumbledore. To Michael Gambon. Gambon. Uh, Correct. The the much shorter in stature, Michael Gambon. Gambon? Gambon? What is it? How do you spell I it? I believe it's it's spelled G-A-M-B-O-N. I Gambon. believe it's pronounced Gambon. Gambon. Gambon? Gambon. So it's a question. Gambon. Gambon rhymes with tampon. Michael Gambon. Rebirth? Gambon. Gambon okay. Rebirth? <laughs> That reminds me of a good tampon joke, Ian. Why don't you tell me it, Matt? Okay. Uh, for those of you with sensitive ears, leave the room now. For the rest of you women and children that have stayed, here it is. Paul, what did what did one tampon say to the other tampon? <sighs> What's that, buddy? Nothing. They were both stuck-up cunts. Uh... 
All right, Matt's done for the night. Yeah, Ian, that's, uh, that's little, a good joke. Little depressed Matt on Twitter. Here all all week. Don't forget to tip your server. Hey, so <clears throat> uh, Richard Harris was an okay Dumbledore. I felt like, and I think uh, history has proven me right. The man was on death's door, just waiting to kick it in uh, when he made those Harry Potter movies. Like I told you earlier, Paul, I'm pretty sure that they filmed uh, The Chamber of Secrets as he was in the process of dying. The man did not look well. He was just too unhealthy. There was he maybe 10 years prior, or even five years prior, Richard Harris would have been the right pick for that role. But given the fact that he really felt like he was not well, I just didn't feel like he was the right fit. Better than his than his successor for sure, but I feel like they kind of butchered the uh, the Dumbledore casting. Matt, did you read the books? I have read three or four of the books. I read three, four, five, and six. Three, four, five, and six. That's that. That's enough. Um, see, I feel that Richard Karras was the absolute perfect casting for Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Richard Richard Harris was able to carry a certain weight of authority in Dumbledore. Michael Gambon was always too... He wore his emotion on his sleeve. R- Richard Harris played Dumbledore much like the way Ian McKellen played Gandalf, where there was just an underlying power. There was an underlying current with him that you understood was there, but he didn't need to overact it to let it out. There's certain scenes, and I just watched two of these Harry Potter movies with Michael Gambon this past weekend, so I'm very familiar with with the work. Uh, Michael Gambon overdoes it. I don't think he really understands the relationship of Dumbledore to the students, especially Dumbledore to Harry Potter. A lot of that has to do with Alfonso Cuaron and uh, David, what's his face, David Yates that did... Goblet of Fire, so maybe that's not all, all on Gambon. But there's a warmth and a likability to Richard Harris's Dumbledore that Michael Gambon never portrays. Maybe that's because of Michael Gambon's weird little flat hat that he wears. <laughs> he doesn't have the traditional wizard's robe and wizard's hat. Or the fact that he lacks colors in his costume. Yeah, um, or just the fact that Richard Harris looks like the character... J.K. Rowling describes in the books. He looks like Albus Dumbledore. And then you make not only a 180 on what the character looks like, but a 180 on his personality. He's unlikable. Like, he attacks Harry for no reason at times when he, you know, he doesn't in the first two movies. He doesn't in any of the books. You know, throughout... Throughout all the Harry Potter books and throughout those first two two movies, Dumbledore becomes the father that Harry Potter never had. And Michael Gambon never steps into that role. It's like he never really leaves the, well, I'm the teacher, you're the student. This isn't a familial relationship. And by the end of by the end of the of, of the series, you know. Dumbledore comes to the realization that he treated Harry too much like a son. That he wasn't just another student. 
He gave Harry preferential treatment. He cared too much. He felt too much for him. And at no point in Michael Gammon's portrayal of Dumbledore do you ever get the sense that this is the son that I never had. Does that work against Harry Potter that he was coddled by Dumbledore? Did they blow up the Death Star or what? What do you what I don't what do you, oh, I don't understand what you mean? You said like um Dumbledore comes to the realization that he cared too much for Harry Potter and treated him too much like a son. <clears throat> like does that affect Harry Potter negatively? Yeah, Harry gets put in some dire situations towards the end of the series that maybe could have been avoided if Dumbledore wouldn't have acted if he would have acted more like a teacher and less like a father. But it's such a big part of the overall story, and that's something that Michael Gambon never gets across. Mm. And I, I feel like there would have been ways in later movies had Richard Richard Harris lived to get to get his his more youthful exuberance and you know less of Death's Door across had they stayed with Richard Harris. But you know Richard Harris died shortly after Chamber of Secrets, so we'll never know. I'm but pretty sure he died during it. Did he? Did he? Just look at him, man. At the, clearly, I mean, okay, the last <laughs> the last act of Chamber of Secrets stars Richard Harris's corpse. It does. Didn't you see they did the weekend at Bernie's thing where they had to like tie Richard oh, Harris's arms to Daniel Radcliffe's arms? There's uh there I I, I, just, I there's there's too weekend much weekend at Dumbledore's. <laughs> there's too much of a, of a of a warm loving nature in Richard Harris's performance. There's oh, this undertone right. of whimsy in it. It feels like. Alec Guinness's portrayal of Obi Wan, where it's it's a very understated performance. Mm-hmm. Nothing like not a lot is over the top, but like you understand in A New Hope, after Obi Wan dies and Luke's on the Falcon and his head's down, you feel that, and it's because of what Alec Guinness brought to that role. And for me, that's what Richard Harris brought to the role that Michael Gambon never did. When Michael Gambon dies. In the movies, it's like, oh, thank God we don't have to watch this fake Dumbledore anymore. Fumbledore. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know if I hated Michael Gammon as much as you did. Uh, And I agree that that Richard Harris certainly brought a warmth to Dumbledore that is reflective of the portrayal in the book. But I don't think that Richard Harris brought that strength that you referenced. I don't think that he that he had that. I think that was an aspect that he that he lacked. Uh, actually, Michael Gambon seemed to have the strength. He was definitely a more aggressive Dumbledore, but uh, Richard Harris, I think, encapsulated the character a lot closer to you know what it was supposed to be. I'll I'll give you the strength because in the the two movies we see Richard Harris, he doesn't have to do any of that. Yeah, he doesn't he, have he to bring any of that physicality. In those movies, so yeah. And uh, I'm I'm sure a lot of that is me reading Richard Harris into Dumbledore when I read the book. Well, yeah, I mean it was look, <clears throat> it would have been good ten or fifteen years prior to that. He would have been the right guy, but I just don't think that he had the because uh, there's there's an element of whimsy and and life that that character has in the book that just is vacant in Harris because he, I don't think that he physically had the energy for it, but, um, if you guys had to recast and start from scratch, who would you choose now? Ian McKellen. 
<laughs> well, it's like you can't pick him because he was. He, yeah, because he was Gandalf. But like, that's what I'd have done. Like, I'd have right. He's he's the right like choice. I'm trying to think who else could fit in there. Um, maybe he maybe he's too old now. But yeah, like then I I feel like I'd have just I'd have thro- I've thrown all the money, at Ian McKellen and just said like, do your best, Richard Harris. <laughs> because like Michael Gammon is such a he's such a different character he plays him so differently and that whole movie is a huge is a huge 180 from what we had seen before going from Chamber of Secrets yeah. into Prisoner of Azkaban yeah. like it's everything all of the changes are so jarring true <clears throat> although I really like Azkaban even though it's really different than the first two uh, but yeah like it, it, look Richard Harris wasn't the only thing that changed from one to two, I mean, tonally it changed. The The actual sets and settings were completely different. Hagrid's house was now at the bottom of the hill, whereas in the first two movies it was along a, a long plain. Um, th- their costumes were different. I gotta, Suddenly, I gotta jump in on this Hagrid's house thing. That seems like a small change. <laughs> like somebody's house moved a little bit? Is that a big thing? Well, they, you know, there's it's like... Big me- from- by the way, this is me arguing for arguments. <clears throat> no, there's there's establishing it's, shots. It's big from the books in the first two movies and the third one, which Alfonso Cuaron didn't reference. It was like watching Riverdale whenever you watch Prisoner of Azkaban. That's not true. That's a were there, exaggeration were there, uh, on my part. Lesbian cheerleaders of different heights there's, there's kissing. Things, at the bottom of a river, there's and there there's things that like the the Hagrid's hut situation in the books, you know, catastrophe Hagrid's, as we like to call it, but you know what I said, catastrophe. Hagrid's hut is described as being down a gradually sloping lawn from the castle, and in the first two Chris Columbus movies, it is it's down a gradually sloping Was lawn. Was it gradually sloping? I remember yeah. it being pretty much just flat maybe it's been a while though gradually sloping flat it's a it's a calm easy walk very calm down to down to hagrid's hut it's it's part of the campus kind of walk that you would want going to see hagrid you know you don't want to go in with any kind of stress or exertion right but when prisoner of azkaban comes out Hagrid's hut's down the side of a mountainside. Yeah. Like you need to walk down this like craggy trail it, to get to Hagrid's, and it's like I understand you want things big, to be like. Excuse my ignorance. Is this a big thing to go back yeah, well, and forth to it's, Hagrid's? It's an house? It, is this it, is, it is to me because it's it's an example of how of how they went out of their way to make things different in that third movie. Yes, tonally. It's a different movie. Everything starts to get a little more serious. The plot really kicks in. Not of only of Prisoner of Azkaban, which is an incredibly intricate plot, but it's it sets the tone for the rest of the the rest of the books in that movie. And the and, characters started wearing more normal clothes in that one. They got out of the, the there was something very kind of um fantasy about the first two. Like they felt very just kind of otherworldly, whereas the rest of the series after the first two started to feel like 
they ran parallel to our world. But there are ways of there are ways of shooting all the stuff that Alfonso Cuaron shot in Prisoner of Azkaban with the Chris Columbus landscape. It could still be dark, it could still be moody, it could still be desaturated, but you don't need to you don't need to rework the entire landscape of Hogwarts to make that movie happen. And it's it's little stuff like that. It's Michael Gambon being casted, cast and playing a completely different style of Dumbledore. It's down to little stuff like in the books, Malfoy is with Crabbe and Goyle every scene. They are his two flunkies, Crabbe and Goyle, all the way through. Crabbe and Goyle, Mal- Crabbe and Malfoy Goyle. is with Crabbe and Goyle was another language to me when you just said that. I, like, <laughs> I have no idea what you just said. I don't Draco, speak Potterese. Dra- <laughs> Draco Malfoy, Harry Potter's arch enemy. Okay. His two buddies. The blonde dude, right? Yeah, Vincent Crabbe and Gregory Goyle. Okay. All right, they are his flunkies. Every book, Malfoy is with Crabbe and Goyle. In the first two movies, every scene you see Malfoy, you see Crabbe and Goyle. Prisoner of Azkaban, Alfonso Cuaron decides, someone decides, you know what? We don't need Goyle. Like, this triumvirate of evil is together through every fucking page of J.K. Rowling's works. But we're going to throw this weird skinny kid in in place of Goyle. Even though the kid that plays Goyle is in the movie. He's in other scenes. Put him in those scenes. And it's, it's weird little shit like that that Alfonso brought to that movie that made me lose my shit. And I appreciate that movie now upon watching it a bunch of times and going back to it. I can look at it more of what the whole, the entire piece is, uh, you know, the entire movie as the tone and what they're trying to accomplish. I can look past, I can see the forest through the trees, but not that much. You can see the crab through the goyle. (laughs) (laughs) But to this day, even I, I watched it this weekend and like there's no, there's no fucking reason that skinny kid shouldn't be crab. Does or, skinny or kid have a name? Like, is it another cool name? Like Goyle? No. Like, is he it like isn't. Boyle or it's Royal? Not even, it's not even like oh. it was Pansy Parkinson, one of the other Slytherin flunkies that what show up. What a fucking it dork. Was, it was just some fucking Paul, skinny kid. Paul, I thought that they got rid of one of the crabs or Goyles in like the seventh movie. And am I is this, am I messing this up? I thought they got rid of one of them in the seventh one. That was the one where they changed it. And then one of the, the one of the flunkies was a, a black kid. All of a sudden, right? Am I remembering that right? No, because after because after Azkaban, you get Crab and Goyle again the rest of the way. No, because there was okay. there were other Slytherins around. Okay. Like because Pansy Parkinson takes a, a stronger role. Okay. But it's it's yeah, little stuff like that just drove me absolutely crazy about that movie. So, um is there anything else you want to say about Harry Potter? <laughs> we've <laughs> deviated enough. We've we've I think we've dug deep on, on Harry Potter. I feel you like this, crawl back out of I that feel hole? like this isn't the first time this has happened. I feel like it isn't as well, although I don't think these were like our criticisms the first time. 
Uh, it's but, probably not going to be our last either. Right. I mean, I, look, Paul, I agree with you. I think that, unfortunately, as awesome a story as the Harry Potter series is, it becomes very inconsistent uh, once you get out of the first two movies. And then it seems like it kind of follows the trajectory set with the third one, which weirdly seems to be a lot of people's favorite. When you ask them what's your favorite one, I hear the book the thir- or movie. The third one, which I can see because there's some really cool stuff in it, like the werewolves and. Um, well, even the intricacy of the plot of mm-hmm. the third one, like yeah. it's real. It's a really good book, and I feel like even I feel like it even kind of stands on its own. Yeah, yeah, it, it kind of does. I feel like out of all the Harry Potter movies, probably this one feels like it's the one that for as much for as much crap as they pull from previous. From the two previous books, yep. they lead into other books. Prisoner of Azkaban, like it, really kind of stands on its own. Someone can mm-hmm. argue or argue this with me. Gent underscore McSauce on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I'll be happy to oblige. But um, you know what I'd <clears throat> like to see? I'd like to see my sister, who is a Harry Potter aficionado, go blow for blow with you over this bullshit. I'll put her on her ass. <laughs> That's right. You hear that? You hear that, Laya? RJ, <laughs> relay that for me, Pally Pal. Uh, <laughs> All right. So, what so why don't we why don't we talk a little uh, images twenty fifth anniversary since Ian was uh, forced to be quiet through a lot of the Harry Potter talk since he's just, a dumb dumb McDummerson. He was resting his voice <clears throat> to extol the virtues of Image Comics. Hey, he's got things hey, to say about this. This I was, was just Paul, you weren't in. around. You we lived it. You weren't even there. Ian, kick us off. Image Image Comics, the third best-selling comic book publisher in the world. Someone that was a, a company that was started by a group of guys that left Marvel. It was never respected when they started, but now they've become a juggernaut. Well, well that's incorrect. Is it? But yeah, yeah, that, that's were were the big two shaking in their shoes highly when those in, guys got together. That's yeah, highly incorrect. Actually. Yes, really? they were. They were afraid. Yeah, come to on the, to the. Mm, well, I mean, like your, you know, mainstream bravado be damned they were pretty well shaking in their in their boots why don't you educate well, me i'm going well, i'm going to educate you what are you waiting for <laughs> to the to the point where whenever the core group of image artists that broke away from marvel marvel was that was that bob kane who were the core in, group back of in the ninth back in the 1990s 93 early 90s 91 well, 91 thanks matt for bringing some semblance of education to the show. Hey, my pleasure. <laughs> In the early 90s, there were uh, seven artists that broke away from Marvel Comics. Marvel was the dominant force as it has been for the longest time, for at least as long as oh, Matt oh, Paul, yeah, and myself for the longest time. have been uh, comic book readers. They... Uh, they, they saw the way that Marvel and DC treated their talent and which was basically create things for us you don't get any uh, residuals from those creations and once you're done being of use to us we're going to discard you the up and coming Marvel artists of that time in the 90s 
were uh, sort of uh, independent-minded and thought that they could possibly do something of their by themselves. They were um, rec- setting records every month with their comic books, and it was a like cult of personality. It was the force of them being on the books that were selling the books, not the characters. And it was pretty clear to Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, uh, Eric Larson, Jim Valentino. Uh, Jim eventually, Lee. Jim Lee. Well, Jim Lee was like a late adopter, but the crown jewel in the piece of the Image Comics. Todd McFarlane uh, was the crown jewel. I, from how I heard it, from was how Will's I've heard Portacio it described, one of the seven. What's that? Will's Portacio. He yeah, and Mark Silvestri as well. Well, actually, Will's Portacio was going to be one of the original founders, and maybe kind of was. I always count him, but, but he didn't like become a. Like full owner, right? right? Well, no, he was, but his book Wetworks didn't come out at least a year after all the initial image stuff came out because he was dealing with, uh, I believe his sister was ill or terminally ill and he was helping take care of her. And uh, finally, when Wetworks did come out, it was a really big deal, if you remember. Now, I don't remember anything about it other than it looked pretty cool, but I'm sure it was not very good. No, I don't think it was. I don't think it was it stuck very around good. for long. But he is a phenomenal artist. He really is, and I <clears throat> give him a lot of credit now, especially because he came back from a stroke that debilitated the side of his body that his his drawing arm was on. So he recovered <laughs> from that, and I I always really liked uh, liked his run on Uncanny X Men, one of my favorite. Well, even even currently. Um, you know, following him on Instagram, you know, Jim Lee's still a big name. Rob Liefeld's still a big name. You know, uh, Eric Larson's still doing books, but I feel like their art looks like it. The the growth stopped at some point, but I will see different styles of art from Will's Portacio. Yeah, not just comic book art. He'll you know I'll see some portraits. Look at a bunch of different stuff that he's done, and. Like he's a real exceptional artist. Whereas even someone like Jim Lee, you know, one of the heads of DC so, right now. I feel like I look you're at really Jim Lee, hard on Jim Lee, but I still think that Jim Lee is as good, if not better, than he's ever been. Like I, I, I know that his style has it, like saturated the market, but I still think that Jim Lee is one of the best comic book art makers maybe, of our time. Maybe, but right now I'm talking about Will's Portacio's breadth. Of work, and I can say the same for someone like Frank Cho. Looking through his Instagram, dude can do anything. Frank Cho's really awesome. He's with, known like, for boobs gigantic, and butts. Like, praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But dude can do anything he wants. He does. Like, same with Will's Portacio. Large oil paintings and like all different kinds of stuff. Frank Cho is, is but, dynamic. But and maybe it maybe it's um it's just a, a cause of. Or the result of you know Jim Lee being co-publisher at DC right now. He doesn't have time to do a lot of stuff. He can only do some, you know, back or some Catwoman, some Batman sketches in the back of a hardback. But I don't ever see Jim Lee doing anything that looks any different than his work in Hush. I I think that he gets a rough go round because his style was so different at the time that almost every like there there have been so many copycats of Jim Lee's style, famous copycats even, that it's hard to like take the source material 
and split it away from the the copycats at this point. And I think that's a the that downgrades Jim Lee in a way that I don't really like to see happen to his art. I yeah, I, I, and yeah, I've been pretty hard on Jim Lee on this podcast, but um, and maybe I shouldn't be. You know, maybe it's it's a product of like his life now, what's going on in his current job. But like I'm seeing other dudes do stuff that I know them as comic book artists, mm-hmm. guys like Will Sportacio and and uh, Frank Cho. I know them as specific comic book artists, but then I see them branching out and doing this different stuff, and I'm like, oh my god, this guy, like this guy's talent is just through the roof. Maybe it's a sharing thing and not a talent thing. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure that Jim Lee does things like that, or 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 yeah, would if right. he had the time or there whatever. Could, there could be but, a, a ton of other reasons, but for all the avenues that I'm allowed yeah. to access, what this artist does. All I'm seeing is the same thing I've seen for years now. The the one the point that I wanted to make with Jim Lee being the the crown jewel um, of the image movement back in 1991 is that Jim Lee was sought seen as the company man, whereas Rob Liefeld was a renegade who was in Spike Lee commercials for Levi Jeans, and Todd McFarlane also was considered sort of like a bad boy in a renegade in the comic book circles where Jim Lee was the company man that listened to everybody that kind of went along with whatever Marvel was telling him. And from what I've heard acted like he was happy and seemed like he was having a good time at Marvel. But underneath all of that, he was really wanting to branch out and do his own thing and join the more vocal McFarlane and Liefeld in their, you know, brand new groundbreaking venture. Right. Well, I need to re familiarize myself with exactly some of those details. But from what I remember, Ian, was that Rob Liefeld was the was the instigator. He was the one that broke away first and he started it. And he was the one that that convinced I want to say maybe McFarlane was first, maybe Larson. It was Liefeld had a close relationship with McFarlane. They were like best buddies. Mm -hmm. And he talked to McFarlane and McFarlane was like, yeah, that sounds great because Liefeld was, he was working, he was told about the tops cards that were coming out. They were making (laughs) some, some tops cards or in also action figures as well. And they skipped over, like they they made some X Men action figures, and then they went right into X Force. Right. So the idea here was the thing that pissed them off was they wanted to own their characters. That that's what it was. It was a creator owned company. They wanted to own their characters. It was really that simple. You know, they looked at um, uh, Joel uh, Schuster and and. Paul, what's the uh, Superman creators? Jerry, uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Yeah, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And they didn't, they didn't own Superman, in spite of the fact that they created the most iconic Siegs superhero of all time. But um, Image sought to change that. They said, any character we create, we've got these great characters that we're not going to waste at Marvel. We're going to create them. We're going to own them, and we're going to. Do what we want with them. Nobody's going to tell us what we can and can't do, and we're going to reap all the 
you know, the profits and benefits of, of these being ours. I know McFarlane came up against a lot of artistic criticism from editorial that he didn't like. It, it just even on it, even on little things like what he was doing, like his his story choice for um, the iconic, uh, you know, uh, Spider-Man number 12, the end of of uh, mm-hmm. that that series that was essentially about uh, monsters and child molestation. I know that he got a lot of heat for some of that stuff, but he dealt with more mature themes. Yeah, McFarlane was always kind of ahead of the the curve a little bit artistically anyway. Like he was the one that introduced the uh, spaghetti style webbing. I and love that editorial webbing. told him, no, it's that's not what it looks like. And you know what he fucking did? He did it anyway. And it caught on. They told him, don't make Spider-Man's eyes so big. Well, that's the best looking Spider-Man ever. That's one that we all know now. Right. That's the one that they put in the Amazing Spider-Man 2, the, the previous version. The one we're getting uh, in um, Homecoming looks a little bit more like um, probably John Romita Sr., I would say, in terms of the eyes, at least. Not in terms of the bulk. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but... In my impression was, though, that McFarlane was the crown jewel because he, while X-Men sold extraordinarily well, and it was the greatest selling comic book up until McFarlane launched Spider-Man, and then that surpassed it. Well, X-Men, the X-Men sold more on the back of having eight different covers or whatever it was. The current record is of that X-Men number one. Oh, man, I think... Thought McFarlane Spider Man beat it. It's not because McFarlane Spider Man came. It w- it went X Force Spider Man X Men. That's how it, they were Three, released, two, one. and and they kept growing substantially. No 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 no. no. X Force came out after Spider Man did. I well at least sales wise. I Spider Man may have. I'm telling you. X Force came out after Spider Man, but here, Matt, Matt just, I can't, <laughs> I can't tell you. Th- think about how it, wrong you are. You're only slightly wrong about Matt, this. Think thing. about You're it like about this. Michael how many, how many X Men number one covers do you own? Uh, I only own one, man. Really? Yeah. Are you serious? I actually, I have all of them. I think there were four. They yeah, can, they're I like got, the connect the right, cover. Right. I got a copy of it, but it ended up getting trashed, and. Technically, really? you only got what? Like, well, I, I must have been a fucking I, sucker. No, are we still and, are we still hyping image images success for twenty five years? Are we still talking image twenty five? Yeah. yeah. Are we just talking about all the old shit that we got? No, let's I mean, keep this like, show this, rolling. No, this ties this ties into it. <laughs> wait, 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 Paul. We can talk for thirty fucking minutes about. I just spit on myself. We can talk for thirty fucking minutes about Harry Potter because you like Harry Potter. But as soon as we start talking comics. Ian, what's the name of this podcast? The McSauce Podcast. Comics podcast? podcast? That's what I thought. Then you just check out because it's not DC Comics. Just try to keep up, man. I'm not checking out. Well. I just want to make sure we're we're keeping it rolling. Let's get back into more things. Like, Paul, you were were saying. Let's talk about what Image has done since 
those early days. Like, let's well, not focus. Since Paul got into okay, comics. You're right. Let's 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 go back and we'll and we'll we'll breeze through it real quick. But but what Image Comics did at the beginning, which you kind of poo pooed, actually was groundbreaking and historic, and they dominated the charts for years. Whenever those initial artists broke away from Marvel, that Liefeld and McFarlane went and had a meeting with Marvel and said, we're not going to work with you anymore, and this is why, and we'll never work with you. Rob Liefeld later on went back on that. And Jim but, Lee. And Jim Lee. But then they also then went to D.C. and had that same meeting and said, we're not going to ever work with you, and this is why. Yeah. And they went on to Let me dom- tell you something. I don't mean the to poo-poo Image Comics and how Image got its start, but I feel like we've covered the start okay, of Image okay, Comics extensively, but Image Comics has been around for 25 years now, and they've done a ton of stuff since then. They've released a ton of great books that weren't part of the initial 90s launch when they well, re- well, the initial re- 90s launch revolutionized is, comic books. But it, but it was, and like for you to sit there and kind of shit on it and like like mockingly say revolutionize like that is what happened yeah there weren't there weren't independent comics that broke away and did what image did and it paved the way for the walking dead right and nail biter and all the things that we're going to talk about in a little bit right Right. and that's that's the part of the 25 year breadth of this company that i would like to get into like we've covered all the stuff that you actually have read okay let's go there uh all right, what, what you I, guys go nuts, but we've covered we've covered McFarlane extensively. The early days, all the all the early books, all the '90s stuff. We've done this a billion fucking times. Let's, right. Let's talk about right, and it is the twenty fifth anniversary, become. so we're right. We're talking to about the stuff that was twenty five years ago. We're not talking about Nailbiter that's been around for two years, like. Yeah, that was. A part I don't want to talk about Nailbiter. What were you guys fucking reading ten years ago? Like how how ago, investors ago, in Image Comics have you guys Invincible. have you been in Image like throughout the entire run? Like I don't give a shit that you were reading fucking Wetworks or what the fuck ever. What were you reading in like two thousand years ago? Whenever you started? Uh, no, I'm not fucking talking but about. But that me. is what you're talking no, about because isn't. you're reverting back to when you started reading. So I'm not asking for me. I know what I've read from Image. I know both of your Image histories extensively. But beyond that initial groundbreaking release of the company, like what were you guys reading in the late 90s, the early 2000s? What books kept bringing you back to this company that revolutionized your own reading habits? It's, a, it's an ever-changing thing. And that, that's legitimate. That's not me being an asshole or wanting to talk about stuff I know about. Like The image that happened that we were talking about, that we lovingly talk about, is no longer the image of now. Image came up from a superhero birthplace and it was competing directly with Marvel and DC on their terms. I feel like the image that we know now is not really the same thing. The creators that create for image now aren't uh, really influenced by what Marvel and DC are doing in terms of like superhero stuff. It seems like if you want to do superhero stuff, you go to Marvel or DC. It seems like the creators now want to tell more... Uh, I I don't know Vertigo style stories, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, all that stuff. There's very little new superhero stuff, which to me is kind of like the problem that I have with Image Comics because it was always the alternative to 
the mainstream comics when it came to superheroes. There, there really isn't like that alternative superhero company anymore. But wasn't wasn't the edict of image when they started was creators getting to do what they wanted to do it, it and was, that is something that has flourished it is yes but the, you have to understand like ian said it started out as a superhero centric company all the books that started think about it savage dragon spawn shadow hawk young blood uh cyber force wildcats they were all superheroes but that was also but that was also in the market then Stuff like it, yeah, stuff like Vertigo, which did have or not Vertigo, yeah, Vertigo, which did have successful books. Then were still it, this Vertigo like was just underground line. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't in the mainstream. No one knew what V for Vendetta was on a on a widespread level. Then, well, no, they didn't. But Image gave creators an opportunity, and even if it was years down the line. To write those kinds of stories. I and I don't think it's necessarily the market shifting. I think that if these creators had a taste for writing great superhero books, that they would write them. They, I feel like the creators mm. now just don't feel like doing that. Ian, I think it's a mix. I, I really do. Because I feel like today's creators, top-notch talent, really wants to do Spider-Man. Or they really... Well, nobody wants to do fucking Spider-Man, but... Well, you do you guys do. <laughs> Yeah, we we oh, do. I guess I shouldn't awesome say you guys. If we we do. fix Spider Man, um, but I want top notch talent on Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, right. Spider Man, and that's like, where and on that's, all the like top. And that's books. where your A list goes in the comic creating world. Today, it's like Image doesn't get that that superstar creator uh, on their on their books. Like, all right, Ian, you, you're making a face. I'm making a face because I disagree with you. Okay, so... I'm, I'm I'm trying to give... I'm giving you room to say it, though. Out, outside of Robert Kirkman, who writes The Walking Dead, who, frankly, isn't much of a superstar outside of that title, uh, it, but he's now strictly Image, although he kind of cut his teeth at Marvel when he was doing Marvel Zombies. That's what kind of put him on the map. And then he started with um, The Walking Dead. Who who's the the A list like comic book talent at Image? I mean, you have you. Have, it's all about diversity now. I, well, I mean, you have Ed Brubaker on the fade out. You have Jeff Lemire has a myriad of different products. I, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I think I was more thinking along the lines of uh, maybe artists. But, okay, you but, have. But you I will have, say this: I don't think Lemire or Brubaker are on a Robert Kirkman level in terms of popularity. I would disagree with. I mean, like, Robert Kirkman is almost on his own level with Walking Dead if you would take Walking Dead out of that. Here's who Here's who I would say, it's in terms of writers and comic books, Bendis, Kirkman. Um, Johns? Yeah, probably Jeff Johns. I think Lemire's right there. Really? You don't think that Jeff Lemire, who writes for... I don't think so. DC and Image, big projects. Strong B, no, strong B. I don't, not an I don't, I don't either. Know, I don't like, think. Not on the level no, of Jeff a Kirkman. Le no, because because I Kirkman disagree. and Johns have broken through that multimedia popularity. Right. Like there are certain people right now who have never read a comic book that know who Jeff Johns is. They absolutely know who Robert Kirkman is, even Kirkman's though they've never almost read a comic. Like, but Kirkman's almost on a different like spectrum. Like Kirkman, Mark Millar, 
like those guys are in their own stratosphere. Right, but at this Jeff point. Lemire has never done anything that hasn't been a comic book. His his highest credits to date have been comic book credits. And for guys like us, we know Jeff Lemire with our fucking eyes closed. Easy. But like people but to that, say that he's not a top he, level he's not, talent. He's is sort not of, Kirkman, Millar, well, I didn't say John's that, level. Really, I said well, he's not. You were asking of, who who are top level talent, right? Well, okay. What what I'm getting at? Mark Ian, Millar th- writes. Hold for on, Image. hold on. Think about the guys that started Image. They were they were the main men right. in comic books when they started. I what I'm saying is those Lobo? guys. Those right. That's what I was going. Those guys aren't at Image today. Well, Outside who, of Kirkman. So, Matt, are you asking like, if, who, if who creators is, started Image today, who would they be? Who well, are the biggest comic book if creators started, to if start it, their own company? If it started today, it would it would be made up of artists because that's the way it started back then. Uh, who, who are the the big artists of today? Um, I, well, I mean, it's subjective, David, but like, who who do we all like? Well. Not even who who do we all like, but like who are some of the biggest names that we know are touted around the industry? I would offer David Finch. Yeah, I was thinking David Finch. You guys um, fucking hate him, right? But he—I don't hate David Finch, but he's a big name. A lot of people love David Finch. Yeah. How about Frank Whiteley? Yeah, Frank Whiteley. Mm, I don't know. I don't no. know. If, he would be. He would be the. Um, Jim Valentino do you think, of the group. Do you think 10 years ago it would have been Frank Whitley? No, I think do, he'd do be... Do we the, like Fiona be, Staples? Do we think Yeah, that there you go. There yeah, you go. Yeah. So she's at Image. So Finch and Staples. So Frank Whitley. Well, well I, Matt... I said no. Does this need I know to, you said no, but I'm just saying Does this need to be a unanimous vote? I, I guess... So, yeah. I guess... I it guess does, it but does. we're like... We're, we're like... I would say... Like, I love Frank Cho, so I would put him in there. I feel like... I, I want to put Frank Cho in there, but I feel like Frank Cho is his own entity. Same with J. Scott Campbell. They're their own thing at yeah. this point. Kind of like... But what like, do we But what but John do we doing, Byrne, like, are we John build- Byrne coming through the late 80s was a huge artist on his own, but he wasn't thrown into the image camp. He no, was he wasn't. Thing. He did his own... But he, yeah, he then did the next men, which was his own thing. Was that a Dark Horse joint? It was Dark Horse. Um, so, but it was a similar thing. I think they gave him, um, a sweetheart deal with that. And with image, him, with with Dark Horse. Dark Horse cut him a deal. Yeah. So that John he Byrne right. didn't like so, image. He wanted nothing to do with well, image. Well, that's. But I'm not exactly saying that that's that's the one for one correlation there. But I feel like someone like Frank Cho, someone like J. Scott Campbell, they're big enough entities on their own that they well, don't need to throw well, into building that fantasy quote image, unquote though. image camp. Like, fantasy, right? You know, like like we're building fantasy image. Ironically, with the, those yeah, guys but fantasy were already at image though. But like fantasy that, like also the image has guys are the guys that I would have picked minus Jim Valentino. I'm sorry, Jim Valentino. <laughs> but I'm fantasy, so sorry. fantasy leagues have their own salary cap and if you can't put a frank cho or a j scott campbell on that team without blowing through the cap roof okay then then who would who else would you nominate at this point then um, um can we bring humberto ramos chang. back to image cliff chang cliff chang already at image but okay what's he do at image paper girls 
Well, I, well, is is that a restriction? They can't be an image right no, now. No, I'm just what I'm saying is that the, a lot of the artists that you that we're talking about are already there. Is the artist? That's that he. That's not Cliff Chang. What what do you say? He write he draws paper he draws girls. paper girls. Yeah, I I saw the art. I actually got that first issue. I haven't read it yet, but like that that's not. That's not superstar art. I'm okay. Just, I'm just All saying. Right. Well, how about... Like, I'm just saying, like, you can hate the art or not, but, like, the well, like, artist like, is there like doing Ian work. Ian Valentino right. no. Sharpley okay, over wait. here. Hold well, on. how about how about David Asia? David Asia's fine. Sure. Get David Asia. Nobody that you have said Grindr? is... Listen, nobody that you have said is on the caliber of those original founders in terms of Well, who were being, besides Lee Can I finish a fucking sentence? Just one fucking sentence. Is it possible? One. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna try it, and we'll see if I can get through it. I know I fucking can't. Is there anybody on your list that you talked about? That you talked about? That is on the the caliber of Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, Jim. Well, not Jim Valentino. <laughs> <laughs> Say Jim Lee. Jim Lee. Eric Mark Larson, Silvestri. All those guys from that era at that time. We're talking guys that that just redefined comic books. Everyone that we mentioned, in my mind, isn't even like an ounce of the superstardom that those guys were. And I realize it was a different time and comic book artists were superstars where they're kind of not as much today. But I do feel like you're Robert Kirkman. You can draw parallels to like the the founders. Well, th- well Bendis then would be another guy. Well, then we're talking. We restricted ourselves at the beginning with artists. Can we then lift that restriction? No. What I, what I'm I'm giving you examples of who I think is like equally like a, a, a superstar quote superstar of today's era. Um, but I I probably would limit it to artists. I'm just trying like off the top of my head coming up with examples, but I do think that. Yeah, artist. If we were going to start image today, who would these artists be? I I I think that I think you just made the point that like it it's a different era and artists aren't held in the same regard. They aren't the star makers that they were in the 1990s. The writers are the star maker now and it's Grant Morrison, Mark Millar, Brian Bendis, Brian Kavon, uh um I'm trying to think of other okay, okay. Like, but those like, if if we're gonna do with like Im- impactful, like possibly like industry changing figures, then we're gonna have to go writers at this point because we play in we play in a different era of comic book. Uh, it's a it's a different era of comic book. Yeah, ball. it's it's you know different. It's, it's, it's different. It's wide open <laughs> offense not, as opposed to run the ball. Uh, it, it's so a what the fuck are we doing here? It's a little different, but what I'm saying is like uh, Steve McNiven might be that guy that would work at, at Image. I love him. Do you think that he is on the level? Like, let's take Jim Valentino out. <laughs> <laughs> but like, could he, could he outdraw in his day? Is he better than Eric Larson, Mark Silvestri? Well, I, that I don't know. But compared to his peers of today. Is he better than, you know, the majority of his peers? Like, is he in the top five comic book artists of today? 
Maybe yeah. I don't know. Um, I love Steve McNiven. I, I think he, I'm not I the agree biggest with you. fan, but I, I could see him kind of working there because he's a he's a big name amongst artists in today's comic book world. How about Brian Hitch? Like Brian Hitch has proven himself as a writer, yeah, and an artist, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, and then there's also guys like that have been there and done that, like J. Scott Campbell. If J. Scott Campbell Campbell came back to draw a comic book. That came out every month. It would be the best-selling comic book. Um, if Humberto <laughs> Ramos would come back and do a creator-owned thing and not draw Imposter Spider-Man or whatever the fuck he draws now, Champions, Mark Wade's political crusade comic book. Uh, Mark I think Wade. that would be pretty awesome. Fiona how Staples, about Mark? Though, how about Mark Bagley? Like, what's Mark Bagley up to? I, I don't. I don't see him in that. A lot of people regard. love him. Um, that's. I love him too, but yeah. I don't. I don't. I, didn't you always feel like he was just a notch below Larson and McFarlane? Yes, but I mean, that's my own personal bias because he came right after. <laughs> I think everyone Amazing, probably felt so, that way. Yeah. Like, it, I thought Spider-Man at the, at the time, I know Paul is going back a long way, so you're we, we, be, we better We better get back to current like, day. That Amazing Spider-Man in the early 90s when Mark Bagley was drawing it, it, was, it followed the McFarlane and Larson runs, which were very good. It... It was it was very good, but it just kind of lacked that that little polish I think that was on the uh, his two predecessors. So if we're building image today, I think that we can all agree that we probably can't do it with artists like they did back in the nineties. You have to use, I suppose, may, maybe a hybrid of like you take your J. Scott. Like we're pulling from even the superstar. Like their own entity kind of people, I think. Like you have to take J. Scott Campbell if you're making something that's going to be as big as Image was because it was it was gigantic back in the day. So you would have to take a J. Scott Campbell, a Frank Cho, Bendis, Millar. Yeah, Morrison. you might. Yeah, you. Yeah. Like that was that would make the dent in the comic scape that Image made. But these guys don't want to do that. They want to work on like a lot of the mainstream stuff. I think that they all have opportunities to work. Like a lot of them do work for image, work for Marvel. Yeah. A little bit DC. here and there. Yeah. So they all like, but the opportunity, if they ever wanted to just do their own thing, image is always there. My assumption too, is that maybe the conditions that, you know, the, the DC and Marvel have gotten better since the early nineties when, you know, the image guys broke away. But I also think that people don't really want to create new superheroes. It's just not something that interests people. Maybe not. Maybe I mean, not. like, who was the last really interesting superhero? Deadpool. Like, new guy, right? Yeah, I mean, I can't. I really struggle to think of Ironheart. <laughs> I mean, um, Miles Morales. Yeah, but, Girl like, Thor. that's what... Asian Hulk. I, I, f I think that's what that's part of what makes Image like what Image is now is that like they've been able to roll through the last 25 years and you know determining what's what and what they want to do and what their creators want to want to do and they've maintained the status of like the third best publisher They're and a lot of people can argue that they are the best publisher because of the wide variety of things they do, you know, the breadth of the breadth of storytelling, 
that they have to offer. I don't think there's a publisher that is as diverse as Image, which is not why I originally liked Image. I just liked Image because they're comics. They did superheroes, but they were like more brutal. There was blood. There was some swearing. Everything felt edgier. It felt more dynamic. And it felt like everything I already loved, but cranked up to 11. But and and back then that was all you needed to do, and that was worth it. But now, true, they've further established their model. You know, they've tweaked everything so that they're still able to keep, you know, to keep on the top of the sales charts. There was with different things like now more blood, you know, more edgy stuff. That's not going to cut it. Everyone's used to that right now. Maybe yeah. you know, like DC and Marvel do things. Mark that Miller now books that, or like that. Yeah, that Image did in in, in the early nineties. But Image yeah. isn't only able to offer things on the page that are you know diverse and groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. They're also a really safe home for you know groundbreaking deals with artists and creators, mm-hmm. and like that's been a tenant of what they've been since they started. Did I'm sorry to interrupt. Did I tell you guys once that I submitted a comic book to Image? Did you? Yeah. Well, you may have told us, but I don't think you told the audience, dear listeners. Yeah i i did a i sent a submission. To uh, Eric Larson, actually, <laughs> and I got a I got a response, uh, That's cool. a fairly quick response. It was a rejection, but uh, I, I I had a slight back and forth with him. He wasn't the coolest guy. He was. Um, he basically said, "You know, I see that you know you put a lot of effort into it, and it's professional, but it's just not something that we feel like would do well at Image because it was like a." A parody type thing. A parody's not a good word for what it was, but it was. What a was it called, book. Matt? It was called Fat Man. Oh, uh, my, my. Oh, you submitted Fat Man to Image? Yeah, because I did it like a sixteen-page treatment for yeah. it. Like God, it was over ten years ago now, and he said that his response was like, "Books need to," he said, um, "make a certain amount of money to quote carry their own weight." so to speak, he was trying to make a joke about, you know, wait, fat. And, um, and he said, you know, keep up the good work or whatever, um, or good luck or something like that. And then I said, well, thanks for that. Do you have any like advice? Like as far as, is there something I could do to make, you know, the book any better? And he said, well, he doesn't have the time in the day to give everyone like specific feedback this is where you know eric larson's kind of being yeah. douchey if you and, follow eric larson on twitter you will know that he he's he's pretty gruff I'd yeah say. he's he's i have noticed uh in like interviews and things like that like things i've seen on youtube the eric larson in those comes across differently than the written version of Eric Larson. Mm. He seems a lot more personable and friendly in videos and things than his writing would, would imply. But, um, he said, I don't really have the time to give specific criticism, but he said basically, uh, you know, it wasn't like one little thing that you could change that would take you from, from the no pile into the yes pile. So that was kind of, that was kind of it. And then I gave up my my dream of working in comics at that you point. You did give up your dream at that point. So you should get, don't let your hero 
bash you into the ground. Yeah, and well, you have to understand, like, for many, many, many years, not so much anymore, I think I've kind of outgrown the uh, starstruck nature of um, of uh, comic book professionals, but for years, I adored that guy and what he had accomplished. I thought his comics were the best. And to get feedback from him was kind of exciting, even though it was a rejection. Well, but now there are other avenues for you to pursue that with. There are. And, you know, when I look back at what I, what I submitted, it's like, dude, I would have been way more brutal than that. Like he was so gentle and nice considering how shitty a submission it was. You're always your worst, your own worst critic. though. You, You would, you would agree with me. It was bad. I don't think I'd be as harsh as you were being on. It your was own pretty stuff. fucking bad, Paul. But um, but it's a good story. It's it's kind of funny. I'll see if I can dig up the email and show you guys. Paul, we didn't really have a chance to get to some of the other things on the docket. How do you feel about maybe tabling those until our next episode, unless something super exciting happens? And we have to talk about it. I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Um, I know I give you guys uh, uh, a hard time about your just the way you just fucking stroke Image, <laughs> but I really appreciate what Image Comics has become. Like I, I really, I really like a lot of books that they have to offer. Um, it's rare that I read something from Image that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Choose Image, right? What? Chew. Yes. His image? Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, Chu isn't, like, I, I think I read the first couple trades. Uh, I never I never bought more than that or started buying single issues, but that's, <laughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, that's an example of a book that I didn't get crazy deep into buying the extended run of it, but it's, it's, all, it's something that I liked, and I think, like, Image has a lot of good stuff. Um, so... They do. I long for the days, though, when they create some superheroes again. I think that would be really exciting because I feel like the industry is just dying to to get some new superheroes involved. Uh, you know, it's kind of cool that Larson still carries the torch for superheroes uh, in comics, although it's not a very good comic book in Savage Dragon. But yeah, but I don't know. Thing- if, I don't know if that's what consumers want at this point. Um. I think they would go for it. I just I don't, don't think, think there's anything that new. Any of the, mar- the any of the image comic books were made out of well this is exactly what consumers want. I feel like those dudes grew up on comic books, were fans of all the Stanley, Jack Kirby stuff mm-hmm. and were genuinely invested in taking their comic book ideas because you read about it and a lot of the ideas that were used were Todd McFarlane's original character from 1977. Right. These are characters that that were childhood creations. Most of Eric that, Larson's inspirations mm-hmm. were from his childhood as well. So. Right. I think, Paul, you know, Ian and I stroke that era of image because we're both very nostalgic. And that's what we got into. Like, that was so the thing when we first got into comics and it was just so formative on like what we liked. That was what hooked us. Right. I mean, I was into Marvel 
pretty heavily, but then Image came along and it, it just changed everything. What happened me. to me was that I got, you know, you had an idea of what comic books were like. And then you started reading some of, I had like about a year of reading Marvel Comics with the creators that eventually moved on to Image. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, Spider-Man, so different. And, uh, and, and the way that they draw him, it's so mature in these webs. And uh, and then I got the, <laughs> I I, like, yeah. I got the, the, the bulletin, I got the memo that all of the guys that I loved were all going to go do their own more mature thing mm -hmm. that they created all by themselves with no restrictions right. at this other place. And it was it was groundbreaking. It would be like if all the, if every single TV creator and film creator that you loved went and did their own thing in this like pocket universe with like no limits and, and made these character, these new creation and characters that you just instantly fell in love with. Um, it, it like, I know we, 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 we really stroke it really hard, but I cannot, I cannot stress how groundbreaking it was. Like it was, it was, it was life changing. And I think that I am a comic book fan forever because of the revolution of image comics. I agree. Paul, do you agree with that? Uh, doesn't matter. I think yeah, that's going to, it doesn't have, it doesn't have the same sentimental resonance with me, but I really appreciate everything that Ian just said. I understand it. I feel it. Uh, you're going to be snarky right there. I'm trying to be honest with you. I was going to say that if I ever get the technology to go back in time, I'm going to travel back to 1991, find Paul McGinty, and fucking murder him. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I thought you were going to say, and I'm going to give him an image comic so he can get... No. Hasta la vista. Just kill him. Paul, you want to take us out? Yeah. Yeah, I'll take us out. Uh, you know... You guys, you guys beat me up pretty good for beating up you guys about your early 90s Image Stroke Fest, but I really do appreciate Image Comics, and I wanted to talk a lot about what Image has done, because they're a fucking great company, man. I feel like we did a good job of that. I think that we brought it into the future and, and talked yeah. about the kind of company it is and why you like it now, so... Yeah, uh, a lot of great stuff tonight. Uh, Matt's a dummy about Dumbledore, but Image Comics, you know, like two thumbs up. 25 years, congratulations. Um, I can't remember if we toasted our shot to Image Comics. I think we did. Is that what we did? No, we, no, we did to uh, Tom, Tom Brady. Brady. Oh, that's right. We the greatest uh, quarterback <laughs> to ever live. Begrudgingly. That's going to do, do it for us tonight. A uh, little uh, retroactive uh, shot toast to Image Comics 25-year anniversary. My name is Paul McGinty. Image Ian Sharpley. Image Matt. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs>